0: Chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 is, when Christ is our concern, neither distance, busy lives, nor anything else will ever divide us. Paul is writing to a group of believers who are far from him, and Paul has never even met. But he's writing to them and saying we are unified because we are united in Christ. We are unified because we are united in Christ. And what I want to emphasize this morning is that while us as a body may never be extremely far from each other, geographically, many times our lives are chaotic. Our lives are busy. And sometimes we would think that, oh, so-and-so doesn't like me, so-and-so doesn't love me, they're not treating me rightly, and all those kinds of things... But here's the main point, when Christ is our concern, when he is our ultimate concern, we will not be divided by busy lives, by distance, by nothing, by nothing. And so I would invite you this morning to stand with me, and we're going to read chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Beginning in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this text. Lord, it is unique to preach, to walk through. Lord, the names are ones that we probably aren't very familiar with. But how we thank you for friendships in the gospel. And we pray that this text would challenge us, Lord that would challenge us as a body to be intimate friends together, encouraging one another in the gospel, always remembering, Father, that there are others around us who are enduring the same trials that we are. Always remembering that there are people around us who who desire to encourage us, Father. May we not steep into self-pity parties, but maybe reach out for the body that you have given us to walk through life together. Lord, strengthen our hearts this morning. May you encourage us with your love and your kindness in Christ. May your spirit be with us, Father, to change our lives. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I wonder if your friendships with Christians are dramatically different than your relationships with unbelievers. Because here's the truth. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, then our friendships with people who love the gospel will be different than our friendships with other people. Our friendships with people who love the gospel will be dramatically different. We will cling to these people because we desire their encouragement. We desire their the edification that they bring to us. We desire to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron as the Proverbs says. I wonder if our friendships with other believers are different, are unique. Jesus even said, "You will know them by your, their love for one another." I'll always remember my friend Tamon. I worked in at Drago's in New Orleans. A lot of you are familiar with that for the food. But I worked there for a little while while we were living in New Orleans. And I don't remember one believer when I was working there. There was not one believer that I would interact with. And as I was working there, you saw a lot of worldliness, and there was tons of opportunity for conversation. And a lot of people were not very receptive to the conversations. And so, But at times we would sit down to eat during our our breaks, and I would have a chance to really get into it and share. And I remember some of my first conversations with a guy named Taman, when he just thought I was crazy. I mean, he thought the things that I believe were just insane. And so, but we continued these conversations. I asked him to come to church with me. And so he came to church with us at Edgewater, where we were members in New Orleans. And he started coming. And at the time, it was getting time for us to move to Baton Rouge. And so I really regretted I wasn't able to walk with Taman through the process of really talking to him in depth about the faith. But as he came to Edgewater, the pastor. Invited him in a journey of discipleship. And so the pastor started meeting with Taman. And through that process, Taman became a believer. And just recently, Taman taught his first Sunday school class. And at the time, Taman wanted to play basketball. But Taman now wants to study the Bible. And thinks he might be called to ministry. None of those other people have I maintained a relationship with from Dragos. None of them. Taman and I aren't tons alike The one thing that unites us and maintains a bond, and the reason I still talk to him, is because he trusted in Jesus. And because he loves the gospel. And I will always remember him for that, and we will always have a relationship because of that. And so, as we begin this passage in Colossians... I want you to see that distance will not divide us. And again, busy lives, just the same. These things will not divide us. And here are some points. You'll see point one at the bottom of your page. The reasons distance does not divide us as a body. The first verse, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. The point Paul is making here is just a simple exchange of life updates. Paul is very aware of what's been going on in the, uh, the body at Colossae. He knows that they've been being threatened with uh, false teaching. And so as he sends Tychicus with this letter, Tychicus is bearing this letter, he's going to go, and Tychicus is actually probably the one reading the letter to the people of Colossae. And so Tychicus is able to give the right emphases, just as Paul would, and he's able to also share with them at the same time what's going on in Paul's journey, what's going on in Paul's life. And so there's just a simple exchange here of what's going on in life. But here's the really odd thing about it. It's all about the gospel. uh, What's going on in Paul's life is all about how the gospel is moving forward. This is what consumes their lives is the gospel. And so we should, as a body, make time for just simple life updates. What's going on in our lives? What are the struggles? What are the concerns? But in all of that, the ultimate concern is how is the gospel progressing in your life and through your life? And if those aren't the ultimate concerns, what you're going to end up in is a pity party. If the ultimate concern is not Christ and the gospel moving forward, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, then it's going to turn into just me. Me and not us. Us. And so there should be what Paul is saying here is there should be this concern for just life. What's going on? But it's about the gospel ultimately. Not just an exchange of life updates, but also our our life circumstances should in some sense bring encouragement. And here's the really funny thing about this. Where is Paul when he sends this letter? Where's that? Prison. Yet look at verse 8. I sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is going to the believers and he's going to tell them how Paul is and somehow how Paul is is going to be an encouragement to them. Paul's in prison. <laughs> how is this supposed to bring encouragement? But you'll see one under this point, good news and a bad time. Paul always found a way of seeing how God was working in the midst of difficult circumstances. This comes from Philippians 1.12. He's in prison and he says... I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. And what he says right after that is the whole imperial guard has become aware of Christ and the reason that he's in prison, which is because of the gospel. And he says, even those in the church have been challenged because Paul is in prison and they've been challenged to spread the word more boldly. More boldly. And so Paul always finds this way of seeing how God is sovereignly working to bring himself glory and to advance the gospel even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. But this isn't just some spiritual twist. I want to be careful here. I will always remember the the story of a, a missionary and I... The specific details I will not try to mention just because I don't know where they were, but there were missionaries in Asia. And he and his wife, this man and wife, they had a baby, and the people they were ministering to were an unreached people group. And emotion was not something that they did openly. They didn't cry and things like that. And in many ways, they were trying, this missionary family was trying to be relevant to these people to minister the gospel to them. But their baby died at infancy. And they didn't know how to respond to this. And in some ways, they were trying to hi- uh, keep up their emotions, keep them bound up. But eventually, they just couldn't do it anymore, and they just weeped. And the people that they were trying to minister to saw them weeping over the death of their child. And it was only years later when that couple had come to the United States that they had received a letter for some of these people that they were ministering, ministering to. And the people wrote, it was your weeping that helped us to see the gospel. They had always been taught to bind up their emotions and to not show that who they were and all those, and the emotions they were experiencing. And they said it was these people, these believers, who learned, who knew how to weep in Christ. Who knew it was okay to weep that showed them the gospel and was a huge part of their conversion. And so these believers, even in the midst of their weeping, their lives were in some sense, their circumstances were in some sense an encouragement to people. And so what we want to say here is that our circumstances should always in some sense bring encouragement to those around us. And it's not because we put a spiritual twist on it, but but it's because we're always living our lives in Christ. And because we're always seeking Him and learning how do we process this in a way that brings glory to Jesus and that I see He's sovereignly over my life and working for good. And this is what Paul did. This is what Paul did. And so the gospel was always advancing. Next, progress of the gospel. We will not be divided when our ultimate concern, uh, ultimate concern in friendships is progress of the gospel. And this is in verse 9. We've already mentioned this a little bit, but it keeps going. With Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here and so they're coming and they're bringing news of how the gospel is moving forward in the area that Paul is in prison. And so I want to ask you, I want to ask you, how often are you looking for gospel updates? Do you read and listen to this with the same excitement to like church planting stories and Voice of the Martyrs and things like that as you do to the highlights on ESPN or the breaking news on the, all the news networks? Are you searching websites? And listen, this is not an easy thing. As we talked about last week, there are some things in the Christian life that don't just come, we don't fall into forty-five minutes of prayer, which Owen said last week. And in the same sense, we don't just fall into news of the gospel. It just just comes sometimes, and so it has to be intentional. And so one of the things that I've done, and I think I learned this from a, a tweet from Landon actually, is he said Joshua Project was his homepage. So that every time he opens up the internet, the first thing that comes up is the unreached people group of the day. And so the first thing he does when he scruns down on the internet is not email, but it's praying for the lost people. And so this is what I've done on my homepage. This doesn't come easy. It's not natural. We don't open up the newspaper and find gospel updates. And so how much are you seeking updates on how the, prog- the gospel is progressing? It has to be intentional. But this is what Paul is talking about here. Our relationships will not be divided when our ultimate concerns for one another is about Jesus progressing. About the gospel moving forward. Otherwise, we will be divided. We will be frustrated with one another. We will find reasons to complain. But if our ultimate concern is simply Jesus and the gospel going forward, we won't find time to complain about each other. That won't be our main concern. So, moving on, verses 12 through 13 fervent prayer as a means of fellowship and work. Verses 12 through 13. Epaphras, let me remind you, he was talked about at the beginning of Colossians. He is the person who brought the gospel to Colossae initially and was probably their pastor. And so you can only imagine the emotions in the Colossian people as they think about, Paul, you've got our pastor. When are you going to send him back to us? And so Paul encourages the believers at Colossae with this news about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, He always struggles on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. What is amazing is that Paul says that in his prayers, Epaphras is working hard for the believers at Colossae. And he's encouraging these people to say he doesn't have to be there with you. He's here and even in his prayers he's struggling for you and he's working for you so that you might stand mature in Christ. And so the truth is that sometimes we won't always, we won't always be able to be around each other. Our lives will get chaotic and we all won't always be here together. And the way that we prevent being divided from each other is we're fellowshipping together in our prayers for one another. And Paul expresses this in uh, In another passage, 1 Corinthians 5, 3, even though I am absent physically, I am present in spirit. His earnest prayer for the believers at Corinth created this sense of fellowship with them while he was far away. And so I wonder if we sense this in our body, like if you sometimes sense a relationship with people in our body because you're so desperately praying for them. Do you sometimes just sense what's going on in their hearts? The anguish in each other's lives because you're spending so much time bathing them in prayer. This is how we're to work together when we're not Together, we're always to be exhorting one another in prayer, lifting each other up. And in this sense, Paul says, like we said, Owen said last week, sometimes we feel like prayer is not work. We should be doing something more productive. But prayer here is the ultimate work that we are coming to God and saying, God, you strengthen them. You uphold them. I can't do it. We can't bring conviction on each other's hearts. We can't cause each other to be held up. But we can pray for one another. And this is what will bind us together as friends in the gospel, is when we bathe one another in prayer. And the two things that he prayed for, which you've already mentioned, are prayer for maturity and for a full assurance of God's will. And these are the things that we could be praying for one another. The next thing, we will not be divided if we're instructing one another. In verse 16, Paul says, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul loves these people so much that when he knows that they're uh, being deceived by false teachers, he instructs them in the way of the gospel. And so the same sense in our body, if some of us are starting to part ways, if some of us are starting to take on some uh, some belief that is incorrect, if we love one another and if we love the gospel, we will go to one another and we'll say, brother, sister, this is not true. We want to walk in the truth. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. And so, if we're to be united in Christ, we must be united in instructing one another in the ways of Christ. Accountability and expectation. Verse 17. Say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. Can you imagine, this is just funny to me, that Paul writes this letter and tells them, say to Archibus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have in the Lord. And so they take this, they go to Archibus and they say, hey, Paul wanted us to give you a message. Fulfill the ministry you have in the Lord. And Archibus is like, That's it? Like that's all Paul wants to say to me is just fulfill the ministry I have and that's it. And so some of us would just be frustrated and bitter because we, we get these passing notes from each other like do this or do this. And some of us just get fed up with each other so easily. But what Paul is trying to emphasize is it's all about the gospel. And so just in one little snippet bit for Archippus, he's exhorting him and he's holding him accountable to say, be obedient. Be obedient. Fulfill your call. Do all that you're called to do in the Lord. And so I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, do you sometimes get a little bit tense because someone just gives you a little snippet? They just give you this passing little thing that they tell you to do or whatever it may be. If our ultimate concern is the gospel, then we won't be frustrated by those little things. Our ultimate concern is the gospel, and so we just be obedient and we fulfill our call. And this was the message to Archippus. Remembrance and prayer in difficult circumstances. Verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Paul is in prison, as we said. And the remember, it's often a reference to prayer. prayer. Paul's not saying just think about it, but he's saying pray for me. Pray for me while I'm in prison. And we recall a passage from Hebrews that says the same thing. Pray for those who are in prison as if you were there with them. And so when we're all as a body in difficult circumstances, anyone in here, we are called to remember them and to pray for them. As if we're in that situation with them. This goes back to what we've already said about prayer. Are you sensing a fellowship with one another because you're bathing one another in prayer? Oftentimes this will cause a burden, a burden upon you that you will carry. But brothers and sisters, this is simply the scriptures doing what we're called to do where Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. One way that we do this is through praying, praying for one another. Experience the burden with the other person. We'll shift now to point two. The first point was distance, busyness, whatever it may be, will not divide us. But by mentioning a couple names in this passage, it brings up another point. Deserting the faith is the only thing that will divide us. Deserting the faith is the only thing that will divide us. Paul says in verse 11, speaking of three Jews, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justus, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Paul is speaking to these because what did he receive from the other Jews? He received beatings. In 1 Corinthians 11.26, it says that Paul expressed that he was in danger from his own countrymen. All the people, all the Jews that he had been so connected with through his faith in Judaism, when he continued in Christianity believing in the Jewish Messiah to come, they all began to beat him. They all began to reject him. And so these three Jews were such a great comfort to Paul because they held to the faith. And in these men, Paul had a sense of hope hope but in these who deserted the faith who did not trust in the messiah it was anguish for paul it was difficult it was struggle and so the next one mark and i have some passages there for you many of you remember what happened with paul's relationship with mark but paul was on a journey with mark and barnabas and this is acts 13 and they're on this journey and mark deserts them they're on a missionary journey and mark leaves and so it comes time to go on another journey later on. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. And Paul says, no, he left us on the last journey. Why would we take him on this journey? And so deserting the faith, Mark's desertion of the faith divides Paul from him. And the only reason that we see Paul, Mark in this passage, Paul mentioning Mark, is because of what we see in 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is a great help to me in ministry. At some point in this journey, Mark and Paul have been reconciled because Mark returned to his faithful work. But what Mark did initially when he deserted the faith, when he left their missionary journey, it divided them. Also Demas. 2 Timothy 4.10. We see Demas as a good worker in this passage. But look what happened in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. When Demas left the faith, it changed his relationship with Paul. It changed his relationship with Paul. And so what we want to bring out from this passage is, when people leave the faith, when they begin to wander from the faith, It changes our relationships with them. It should change our relationships with them. For some reason, in the church today, we've allowed people to become casually connected to the church. So even when they do things that are completely sinful, and even when they do things that are embarrassing to the church, it would be mean to do anything to discipline them. That would just be wrong. That's how we respond in our society. That's how our, what our society expects says is appropriate. It would be mean to tell them they can't be here, they can't meet with us. That would be wrong, snooty, whatever it may be. But there are biblical things that tell us how to react when people depart from the faith. And so I want to walk through just a couple of scriptures here. First, we pray when our friends turn their back on the faith. We pray Luke 22, 31 through 32. And this is Jesus, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter would turn away. He knew that Peter would forsake. But he still said, I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So ultimately, the first thing that we're supposed to do when our brother or sister has strayed and is seeking sin is we pray. We pray that God might lead us in how to deal with the situation. We pray that they might turn back. We pray that God would give us love for them and guide us in how to handle it. So the first thing that we're to do is to pray. Secondly, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. If patterns of disobedience are there and these people are still claiming the faith, Paul gives us clear instructions as he gave to Corinth on how to handle the situation. I am now writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I want to be clear that Paul's list here he's, is not exhaustive. When Paul lists these things of sin, he's not listing every possible sin, but he's saying if they're involved in something deep and entrenched in the sin and they're not repenting or anything like it, then you're supposed to deal with this. You can't just carry on like everything's okay. That that isn't the church, that isn't Christ's body. It's wrong. And so, if someone continues in sin but still tries to bear the name of a believer, then we're supposed to deal with that. Our friendship should, should change. And Paul says, you're not even supposed to have anything to do with them. There have been friends that I've had growing up that I was friends with for a long time and grew up in church with. But at one point, as they continued on a path of sin in college and in those times, God brought me to the place where He said, you have to do something. And so I would write a letter just laying out God's word, what was clear from God's word. And I knew that if that friend did not respond or continued in their sin, that our, our relationship would never be the same. This is what God has commanded us, and we shouldn't take it lightly. What about if our friends completely reject the faith? 1 Corinthians 5, 9-10, through 10, right before that verse, I wrote, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So what Paul is saying here, if there are people who have sinned and continue in sin, but still bear, bear the name of brother, then yes, you need to disassociate there. But if there are people who have completely taken off their identification with the faith. Who no longer even bear the name of Christian. He says you can't get away from those people. You're in the world. And so you're not supposed to be of it. But you will associate with such people. And so while our, belief, our relationships with these people who have sinned. Who have, who have rejected the faith fully. They should not be our best friends anymore. Paul's clearly saying that. But. We don't have to completely disown these relationships. We pray for them. And we pray that our friends who have rejected the faith and no longer even claim it, we pray that they would return to the Lord. We pray that they would. And we walk in those relationships to love them appropriately as the Spirit would lead us and to encourage them in Christ in the ways that we can, in the ways that we're able. But what's clear from all these passages, from what happened with Demas and what happened with Mark, is the only thing that will divide us in the faith is when one of us deserts the faith. When one of us walks away from the faith, departs from the true faith. As we move, point three, every name matters. Every name in here matters. Paul's experience was the gospel, and I want to walk through some passages with you here. Acts twenty twenty three, 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Would you hang around this guy? If this is the news he got, hey, I'm going to this city and I'm going to get arrested. You want to, you want to hang around? Come with me. Second Corinthians eleven twenty five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. That's one away from death. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul not only was being beat, but there was this sense of weight on him at all times, concern because of false teaching that was coming to the churches and also because of sin, which we just talked about in 1 Corinthians 5, that is abiding in the churches where the churches aren't dealing with it. And so Paul's dealing with beatings and he's also dealing with the emotional, just intense trauma of wanting the churches to walk with Christ and persevere in him. So, 2 Timothy 1.15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. So what Paul experienced in the gospel is he persevered in Christ, as he walked faithfully and radically to, for Christ, as everyone else left. Many others left. May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my imprisonment. But when he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy on that day. So what we see is a man who walks faithfully in the gospel, who seeks it with his whole heart, and he doesn't have tons of friends. He doesn't have many people who walk in the same way that he walks. And so what Paul is doing when he walks through this list of names is he's saying, these people are worthy of the gospel. These people have endured trial after trial with me. And ultimately also, he's writing to a group of believers who are struggling in the faith. People are tempting them to walk in another direction to say that the faith should be different. And so what Paul's saying is, here is a cloud of witnesses for you. That's in Hebrews. Here is a people. Here are a people who are walking faithfully with the Lord. Don't depart. Oops. <laughs> wow. Um, don't depart. Other people, you have brothers and sisters who are struggling in the same life and who are being faithful. And so the message that Paul is giving by this list of names is saying, don't quit. There are other people who are doing it. And it is a cloud of witnesses for us so that we might endure because other people are enduring in the gospel i'm going to have to get this i know this is awkward sorry it's more awkward for me i promise <clears throat> so the cloud of witnesses others are walking the path with you and that's these names bear proof to the uh, brothers and sisters at colossae that others are walking the path and the role doesn't matter that's the next point Tychicus, think about his role. Was it glorious? Tychicus, I'm in prison. Will you go travel hundreds of miles on foot? You might get killed. And then when you get there, will you read a letter for me that I wrote? Is that glorious? It's not a glorious role. Onesiphorus, let's see. Onesimus in verse 9. He was a former slave and he was going back to the one that he escaped from he was being sent back it's not a glorious role all of these guys were not fulfilling glorious roles they were kind of in the backdrop and they were just on the in the back scenes for paul working for paul and so sometimes there won't be this glorious role that you're supposed to serve but you're just supposed to serve you're just supposed to be faithful and walk in Christ faithfully and so the question we come to is are you playing your part Are you in this body playing your part? Have you prioritized this body or is your life outside here so busy that you have no time for your church? The reason these people are mentioned is because they had surrendered their entire lives for the gospel. And I wonder if you've done the same thing. And as we come to a close and closing this sermon, I want to ask them to put something on the screen that I've, And I just want to remind you of what we have all committed to. The church adopted a covenant here recently. It's there. And I want to point out these plural pronouns. Relying on His gracious aid, we solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with each other. This is what we have all committed to. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the body of peace, seeking to grow toward biblical unity in the truth. We will walk together in brotherly love as we become the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor to neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will use our spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. We will endeavor to bring up those whom God entrusts to us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We will rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, being just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our behavior to avoid all gossiping, backbiting, and excessive anger. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful and evangelical ministry in this church, striving to advance Christ's kingdom as we sustain Crosspoint's worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will submit to biblical authority in resolving the conflicts within the church according to Matthew 18, 15-20. We will contribute cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses, the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. I want to close with this is because this is what you, if you have joined as a member of Crosspoint, have said you will do. You are in the we. You're a part and you're to be involved. And you're supposed to be supporting these ministries and all of the people within this body. And I wonder, are you committed to that? Are there priorities in your life that you need to rearrange so that you can be faithful to the covenant that you've already committed to? I want to give you these last points of application, and you can see these in your notes. Has the gospel changed your friendships? Who are your closest friends? Your love for the gospel should be reflected in your friendships with others who love the gospel. Do you have people that you cling to because they sharpen you? Do you have people that you meet with for instruction, for accountability? People who will say like Paul did to Archippus, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Is there anybody who's saying to you often, are you fulfilling your ministry in the Lord? Are you being faithful? Do you have friends who will ask you these difficult questions, who will hold you accountable in this way? How have you dealt with friends who have turned their back on the faith in some way? Whether it's just sin that they've immersed themselves in. Or maybe they've departed the faith altogether. How have you dealt with these friends? Are you being faithful? Or are you being casual? Are you one of the ones who a- allows people to have a casual commitment to the church? Even if that friend is a member of another church. They're still a member of the church. Christ's body. And you're to be concerned for that. Proverbs 18.1 Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Are you isolating yourself from biblical community and fellowship? Biblical community and fellowship. And if for some reason you think that you're... You've got it all straight and you're just like, if you come and meet with us, we're just going to mess you up. That's not the church. That's not Christ. So if you're isolating yourself. That's not New Testament Christianity. That's not the gospel. What Paul's main emphasis, one of his main emphasis in Colossians has been you as a body, as it says, we are. On the church covenant, it said you plural in Colossians. You couldn't always see that clearly, but it's always you as a body being built up together. And so as we close, I want to give you a chance to just pray. To think on this body. To commit to pray for people in this body. To think about how you're pursuing gospel friendships. Have you prioritized these things in your life? And I wonder, if I read the church covenant, or if one of the members reads the church covenant and struggles and says, I don't know if I can do this, I wonder if they'll think of you and be encouraged. Let me ask that again. If If someone reads the church covenant and they struggle and say, I don't know if I can do this, will they think of you and be encouraged? Are you a member of the cloud of witnesses from which I can be encouraged to continue in the faith? If you're not, then why? You need to repent. Turn to Christ. Embrace His body. This is part of the faith. Part of the faith. So I want to encourage you just to pray during this time to seek the Lord personally. We're always available. Mr. Allen's here. Dr. David's there. We're, we're not going to come up this morning, but we're always available now and after the service. If you want to talk, come come get someone. Talk. That's what we're here for. So let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for biblical friendship. I thank you for cloud of witnesses. People, Lord, who challenge us to walk with you. I thank You that when we begin to struggle, that we can think of people, that You've placed people in our lives that we can think of who will really challenge us to continue in the faith. Lord, I thank You that such great friendship is found in Your mercy and in Your Son, Jesus. Lord, that through your forgiveness we are able to forgive one another and we are able to walk in relationships that cannot be divided. Thank you that you hold us together by your gospel, by your grace. Lord, we pray you would unite us as a church. We pray that we would not be divided by petty things. But Lord, our ultimate concern would be the gospel. We praise you, Jesus.
1: Our offering, if you're a guest today, um, don't feel pressured to give. Um, and just as a reminder, we have these baskets from Rwanda just to remind us about um, people who are lost and people in other countries that God's not just here, He's the God of the whole world. And so, um, I encourage you to pray for them and to pray over your offering to the Lord with your groups of friends and your family.